This message comes from Capital One. Your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services backed by the strength of a top 10 commercial bank. Visit CapitalOne.com slash commercial. Member FDIC. Seven Republican candidates took to the stage once more to debate who among them should be the next president of the United States. But there was one notable absence. Instead of joining them on stage in Simi Valley, California, former President Trump instead appeared before auto workers in Michigan. My pledge to every automaker is this. A vote for President Trump means the future of the automobile will be made in America, where it should be made in America. And some candidates, like former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, called Trump out for his absence. I know you're watching, okay? And you're not here tonight, not because of polls and not because of your indictments. You're not here tonight because you're afraid of being on the stage and defending your record. Did any standout moments really dislodge the possibility that Donald Trump might be the inevitable GOP candidate? We'll dig into that after the break. I'm Nyla Boodoo from Axios, in for Jen White. You're listening to the 1A podcast where we get to the heart of the story. Stay with us. We've got a lot to get into. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top 10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial, a member FDIC. Let's welcome our guests. Helping us break down the debate, my colleague Alex Thompson is a national political correspondent at Axios. He's in California, where he was covering the events of last night. In L.A., Rena Shaw is a political commentator and strategist. And here with me in studio is Gabe Fleischer. Gabe is the founder and editor-in-chief of the Wake Up to Politics newsletter and a senior at Georgetown University. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Alex, let's start with you. You were at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley last night. How did what was said in the spin room after the debate reflect the strategies of all the candidates last night? Well, it was so striking because many of the candidates were basically doing the opposite of what they did the first debate. So uh, Vivek was out there and his team was talking about how humble he is as a person and, you know, how maybe he was like a little over the top last time. Tim Scott's people were all about how he's a fighter uh, when the last time – you know, I think he was criticized. I know he was criticized um, by some of his allies and donors uh, for being too much of a nice guy. And, um, and it was just striking to me that you had people just arguing that they were doing the opposite. I'd also say um, that you had a lot of dissatisfaction uh, in the in the spin room afterward. A lot of um, criticism of the Fox debate moderators and just the constant crosstalk that you were hearing in that debate that really didn't make it feel sort of like an undercard debate, that it wasn't really the the main show. And um, I can tell you one of Trump's top aides uh, in the spin room afterward that I talked to uh, but could not help but, you know, honestly seem gleeful. 
So there were seven GOP candidates on stage last night for the event. Uh, Alex, as Alex, as you mentioned, hosted by Fox Business Network. Gabe, can you remind our listeners who these seven candidates are? We heard some of those names. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, obviously Donald Trump was not present so at the top of the field, you know, such as it is of those undercard of Ron DeSantis, um, kind of nipping at his heels were Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley on either side of him, as well as Tim Scott, um, you know, Mike Pence also there. And then at, at the far end of the stage, Doug Burgum um, kind of kept asking for time, but but not quite getting it. Right. And New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, Chris Christie was also yeah. next to um, North Dakota Governor Burgum, right? And of course, as you pointed out, Once again, the elephant in the room, Donald Trump was not at the debate. Instead, he was in Michigan with striking auto union workers. What they're doing to the auto industry in Michigan and throughout the country is absolutely horrible and ridiculous. Rena, the former president has had a tumultuous relationship with labor unions, specifically with UAW over the years. How did he do last night? And do we know how many union workers were in attendance in the audience? Yeah, I would say we don't fully know how his appearance landed last night because one thing is true about the situation is that he does talk out of both sides of his mouth often. And particularly his actions during his time in the White House haven't really aligned with what these workers want. So though there is not a decision on an endorsement, it's not looking very likely for Trump. Uh, But This was exactly in line with what we've seen from the former president. He has to pull a stunt out of his hat. And this was just right one of those things that he felt he had to do, particularly on a big night. And a big night where his, of course, opponents kept saying that he should have been there. But I don't think he felt the need to be there because I think he thought the bigger fight is to show that he remains a fighter by showing up where these auto workers are airing their grievances very visibly. That was again, in line with what the former president likes to cast himself as, somebody that is action-oriented and in fight mode and never leaves that mode. Now, moving to what we saw on the stage here in California last night, I think there was a real missed opportunity by his opponents. I was looking forward to a really robust debate. Of course, there was a lot of policy talk, but this felt very amateur hour. And again, the Trump camp is going to be moving forward with that talking point. Record numbers of American across the political spectrum are not feeling represented in Washington, D.C., and they're feeling frustrated by choices for president. Of course, with this seemingly um, potential, for, uh, high potential for a Biden-Trump rematch, I think there was a real missed opportunity by Trump's opponents on stage last night. They could have shown that they too are action-oriented and cast a hopeful, positive vision for America. And though this was a primary debate, they could have done that, but I didn't hear it. One listener emailed us, the media continues to push the narrative that Trump is the inevitable nominee. It's a fact that polls this far out predict little if they did, Trump would never have won in 2016. Between Trump being convicted before the election, Biden having health issues, and New Hampshire and Iowa primaries surprising us all, a lot can happen. Rena, your thoughts about that? You know, there was a uh, talk about the polls last night from the stage from Ron DeSantis, but it came at the very end of the night when he was asked what his strategy would be, the math, if you will, to get to this nomination and topple Trump. Uh, but I would caution everybody, 
we saw what the polls did in 2016. They didn't lead us the right way. And so I think it's still very early. The polling industry has had to change a great deal uh, to keep up with the times. One thing we know is that a lot of younger Americans are not answering the polls. And when I think about how we will see changes in the makeup of this field, so lucky number seven candidates on the the stage last night, what are they going to do in this next five weeks between the next debate? How are they going to shape up and get ready for the debate in Miami? This is a situation in which elections, campaigns, um, they start far faster than they used to. And so there's a very long road here. These candidates have to remember that. It's a sprint. It's, you know, and, and it's not a sprint, excuse me. It's a marathon. And that is, I think, the hardest part for everyone to square up here. From DeSantis, I, I saw some glimpses of hope for him, for his ability to perhaps recapture uh, the number one spot. Going in last night, Vivek Ramaswamy, I believe, was the guy to beat. But he was on the defense for much of all of the night. One person who I felt held their own quite well was Nikki Haley. She had a standout performance in the first debate, in my estimation, and she had a number of good jabs across the board uh, last night. I wouldn't say she was the winner, but when it came to education and talking about Bidenomics as well as immigration, she gave, again, some very masterful answers that could bring some new people under the GOP tent. These are, again, responses intended to win over hearts and minds of independent voters in swing states. Lots more to come on this hour. Uh, before the break, Gabe, any clear winners from you last night? I would agree. I think Nikki Haley was, was the person that came out looking the best. You know, she got a lot of jabs in, including at Ramaswamy, at Tim Scott. I think she formed herself well. But, you know, to disagree with that emailer, I, I don't think Donald Trump is inevitable. But I don't think any of the candidates did what they had to do to, to overcome Trump. And for that reason, it's hard to call anyone a real winner. We're discussing the latest in the GOP debates. We'll be back after this short break. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. This election season, you can expect to hear a lot of news, some of it meaningful, much of it not. Give the Up First podcast 15 minutes, sometimes a little less, and we'll help you sort it out what's going on around the world and at home. Three stories, 15 minutes, Up First every day. Listen every morning, wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's get back to our recap of the GOP debates. Alex, this debate took place at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library. His name was invoked many times last night. How do you think audiences reacted to that? Well, I think that's a great, that's a great question. I think, uh, you know, and, and the debate moderators pointed this out, is that the Republican Party has changed a lot since Ronald Reagan um, and many of the stances that Trump and everyone else is, is taking um, are just incredibly different. They played the clip of you know Ronald Reagan calling for amnesty of undocumented immigrants, who which is something that he enacted while he was president. No one on that stage thinks that should be the policy 
now. Ronald Reagan would never have been sympathetic uh, to the UAW strike. And um, and so it's interesting, you know, invoking Reagan is just sort of standard, uh, you know, Republican talking points about, you know, shining city on the hill, peace through strength, you know, sort of all the all the greatest hits. And I think that's what you were seeing in that debate. But I, I got to say, just given how much the party has changed uh, in the in the last you know 10 years or eight years, um, you know, a lot of the words just sort of seemed a bit hollow. To that point, a border enforcement was a major topic last night. Here's businessman Vivek Ramaswamy. Militarize the southern border, stop funding sanctuary cities, and end foreign aid to Mexico and Central America to end the incentives to come across. But I do go a step further. You're right about that, Ilya. I favor ending birthright citizenship for the kids of illegal immigrants in this country. Rina, to Alex's point, that's a very different stance that Vivek Ramaswamy just said last night from Ronald Reagan. What did we hear about the candidates on immigration specifically? Yeah, for all the praising of Reagan that Ramaswamy tried to do throughout the night, his words really didn't align with the former president's. Uh, I thought Haley in particular was um, quite good at explaining exactly how maybe a great many moderate and far-right Republicans feel right now. She talked about the need to secure the border, defunding sanctuary cities, putting more CBP agents on, and abandoning catch-and-release policies. So what a lot of Republican voters feel right now is this fear, this fear that America is becoming less safe. And forget the prosperity bit for a minute. America has become this haven for people who are just coming here to not better themselves, but to escape these terrible places in which they live. You hear that narrative quite a bit from congressional Republicans too. So a lot of talk about fentanyl last night from every single person on the stage. Uh, somebody like Governor Doug Burgum was able to continually tie his answers to China when we, he talked about fentanyl, for example. But Haley was directly blaming uh, Biden. She said Biden waved the green flag, and that's why we have fentanyl pouring into our cities. DeSantis went so far as to talk about an infant that had passed away due to fentanyl on the ground of an Airbnb. These were incredible scenarios, which just remind folks that truly the Republican Party of right now is pushing the buttons of fear politics, grievance politics. And last night, it was a lot of doom and gloom scenarios, whether it was a talk about how Biden's economic policies have failed, how our southern border is porous, how all of our borders seem porous, and also about how China is changing the way of our lives fundamentally. I do want to get to that crime point, but first I just want to ask one more question about um, the immigration situation. Alex, Republican candidates have emphasized, as we heard last night, border security. Have we heard any of them address the right to asylum many migrants crossing the southern border are seeking? I mean, the, I think the default position for most of these Republican candidates is that they think that many of these claims of asylum are are, are not are not real and that they basically believe that they are that these people are gaming the asylum rights system in order to be able to enter the country now 
that is a huge blanket statement that really belies the reality of what is going on at the southern border. And and also, essentially, they are saying that asylum should only be granted in the most extreme of extreme of extreme circumstances. And, you know, people fleeing, like, desperate poverty and, and potentially, uh, you, know, you know, gang violence or whatever may not qualify. So, essentially, I, th- I think a, a good way to think about it is, um, that whatever the, the the instinct is, we need to uh, for all these Republican candidates is anything they can do to uh, make make it so that less people enter the country from the southern border. They are for that's like the instinct. You know that you can get into the weeds on little details, and they're they're going to try to point out um, you know uh, you know little policy things. But the instinct of the entire Republican Party right now is essentially is there a way to make the like the border you know as you know as walled off as possible so crossings at the southern border have emerged as a flashpoint issue particularly with republican state governments gabe how important is this issue for gop voters right now I, th- I think it's one of the most important issues, and you can see in polls, you know, not just among Republican voters, but Democrats too. It's a real vulnerability um, for President Biden. You know, you see rising each month rising numbers of migrants crossing the border, and it's an issue that a lot of Americans um, are, are caring about. You, you see, you know, Chris Christie even trying to go at Trump, you know, about not building the wall. You know, it's you're trying to make it a vulnerability for Trump as well, um, and so so you definitely see that for Republican voters. That that's one of the biggest issues, and 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 they think a vulnerability for both Trump and Biden. Right, Chris Christie said last night he didn't build the wall far long enough. Right, exactly, and he he said even that um the the Mexico government maybe they would have paid for it if they knew how little of it that Trump was going to be able to build. We got an email from a listener that says, given that each hopeful candidate needs to defeat Trump before they can move on to Biden, why didn't anyone specifically call out Pence on problems that can be associated with Trump? Gabe? I, I think that's a good question. And you know, you did see several times you know, the candidates go a little bit farther on Trump than they did in the previous debate, talking about the debt um, that was accumulated under the Trump administration and kind of tying that to the spending fight we see right now in Congress. You saw the moderators a little bit push back on Pence on that, um, ask him what responsibility he had for the debt. I, I think in general, you know, there is kind of a sense that Trump and Pence are obviously two very different figures. Um, you know, how much influence Pence had during the Trump administration, I think, you know, is somewhat up for debate. Obviously, now they've had kind of a very public split, you know, since January 6th and um, Trump supporters literally, you know, calling for hanging Pence. So I think, you know, there isn't as much association maybe in the public imagination between Trump and Pence as you might expect between uh, a president and vice president. You even saw Pence last night. He wouldn't even name Trump, called him, you know, my former running mate. So I, I think that that's an interesting question. I, I think ultimately also in terms of attacking Pence, you know, he's polling at, at what, you know, three, four percent. So I think and that was something you saw throughout the night. You see the candidates going after these lower polling candidates, mostly Vivek Ramaswamy. But doing that isn't going to do much for them. You know, they have to attack Trump if they're going to be able to get ahead. So I just think probably for most of the candidates, not attacking Mike Pence, it's almost just a sign of how how little relevance he's had to this primary. It wouldn't really do much for them to, to go after him. Elizabeth emailed us, hypocrisy and lies were paired across this panel like bullets in the ironic circular firing squad. One glaring example, Vivek Ramaswamy, who wants to revoke birthright citizenship. Ramaswamy was born in Cincinnati, Ohio, to Indian Hindu immigrant parents. So if he does plan to deny dreamers their citizenship rights, I assume he and his dreams will also be part 
of that exodus. Speaking of Ramaswamy, here he is talking about the economy last night. What we need is to deliver economic growth in this country, unlock American energy, drill, frack, burn coal, embrace nuclear energy, put people back to work by no longer paying them more money to stay at home, stabilize the U.S. dollar itself, and rescind a majority of those unconstitutional federal regulations that are hampering our economy. That is how we unleash American exceptionalism. Alex, what else did we hear about the economy? Yeah, I mean, well, one thing I wanted to, uh, you know, clarify from that from that email. Now, Ramaswamy does try to make a distinction between uh, himself and then the people that he would not grant citizenship to, which is that his 14th Amendment ending birthright citizenship would be for people that entered the country without documentation, and his parents did. Now, you can – I think there's a very strong his argument His parents did that, have documentation is the distinction you want to make. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So that's sort of how he, like, you know, finagles this this line. Um, and uh, But regardless, there's many constitutional issues and also just moral issues with that stance that you know, he's been trying to, trying to defend. Now, in terms of like your broader question about the economy, I mean, essentially, you had everyone uh, – I, I thought it was one of the most one-note parts of the debate because basically everyone was like, uh, the economy is terrible, the economy sucks – and uh, I'm going to fix it. You know, it, it, I did feel it was like sort of lacking in details. The only thing people really broadly agreed on is that you are going to, you know, take away any restrictions on fracking and natural gas and, you know, just energy development in the United States. Uh, you heard uh, Vivek talk about that. And everyone is sort of on on the, the same the same page. Um and also, you know, a push towards confronting China economically. Um, but beyond, but but beyond that, I, I thought it, it was striking to me that um, while there are significant policy disagreements within uh, on, on other issues, some of which, like we talked about, unions. Um, for the large part, I felt that they all the candidates were on the same page when it came to the economy last night. The debate came as Washington is on the verge of a government shutdown. Gabe, what did the candidates have to say about that? I was actually surprised by how little they had to say about that. You know, we are now just a few days away from potentially, you know, the government shutting down, you know, thousands of workers, uh, government workers being furloughed. And and there wasn't much talk about it, even though, you know, Ron DeSantis from the sidelines has kind of cheered on the shutdown. Um, but, you know, it wasn't really asked that directly about it. Tim Scott um, was asked about it or, or was asked about um, who who to blame or, or Chris Christie actually I'm sorry asked about who to blame um, whether it should be like the kind of the Trumpist populist that he's railed against he kind of gave just a standard issue answer everyone should be blamed that was kind of the theme of most of the people that were asked you know that it's kind of just laying it at the feet of, of Washington bureaucrats another kind of Washington partisan struggle so there wasn't much talk about it even though you know th- this could be a pretty urgent economic crisis um, or, or certainly a, a very serious economic situation we'll be facing in just a few days um, it, it's one that Trump and DeSantis have kind of encouraged and their allies of Capitol Hill have kind of exacerbated. But but there was almost no talk about it. It was, it was a lot more broad discussion of, you know, the trillions of dollars in debt that both Pre- President Trump and President Biden have added, but, but very little specifics about what actual spending plans they'd like to see on Capitol Hill. Rena, getting back to uh, Ramaswamy, he elevated his profile in the last debate. How do you think he did in this one? 
I think he held his own just fine. I think he continued to be an annoyance to his uh, colleagues on stage. Uh, I think there were moments in which he was clearly some wanting being painted out to be somebody that just doesn't belong. Pence liked to do that as well. Pence alluded to the fact that Ramasamy uh, essentially didn't vote <laughs> before he declared a candidacy. And also there were a lot of attacks on him because he likes to tout his business record and being a businessman. And he knows that plays really well, uh, of course, because of the Trump effect as well. Trump continuing to tout his exemplary status as a businessman. So Ramaswamy does that. But with Pence, you know, what he really wanted to do was paint Ramaswamy out to be somebody that has made uh, China a central part of his business. Haley did that too. And then also the birthright citizenship stuff was pretty crazy for Vivek. It was really one of those moments where you have to wonder, does this guy, is this guy going to continue to talk out of both sides of his mouth as he continues to go along in this primary race? We're going to head to a quick break, but we'll be back with more of our debate recap in just a moment. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive Insurance, where drivers who switch could save hundreds on car insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Let's get back to our discussion of the second GOP debate. And let's talk about all the candidates doubling down on their cultural agendas. You have said slaves develop skills in spite of slavery, not because of it. But many are still hurt. For the sentence of slaves, this is personal. What is your message to them? So first of all, that's a hoax that was perpetrated by Kamala Harris. Uh, We are not going to be doing that. Second of all, that was written by descendants of slaves. These are great black history scholars, so we need to stop playing these games. That was Florida Governor Ron DeSantis refusing to backtrack on the part of his state curriculum that says enslaved people benefited from enslavement. He also brought up his state's education record. Rena, are Republicans on the right track by making these issues front and center? Because there's a lot of nuance here. So you can't paint it out to be black and white. You have to talk about the gray. And that's something that DeSantis pivoted out of. He blamed Kamala Harris for misconstruing his words and then said he's the father of a six, five, and three-year-old. So he pivoted to school choice and talking about a parent's bill of rights. That does play well with Republican bases. But when you talk about, um, again, comments on slavery and and how he has canceled AP African American studies and 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 made efforts that doesn't don't really need to be made in in my opinion I I think what you see there is somebody that's sort of mixed up about how he's going to address underlying issues uh that that continue to persist in his state with education while continuing to attack what he 
thinks is says is a woke agenda by Democrats. So I felt he was very weak on that answer. But one notable moment in the debate was between Ramaswamy and Senator Tim Scott, the only black Republican in the Senate. Uh, and it was really incredible when Vivek Ramaswamy talked about the 14th Amendment um, in relation to birthright citizenship, which he wants to end. Scott shot back with, the 14th Amendment was written to address slavery and not illegal immigration. That was a a, a point in the debate which I thought could have been made larger, but it just highlights how uh, almost some of these candidates don't really have a clear answer on why they continue to have these anti-woke agendas. That's dredging up a lot of sort of these cultural fights that, again, are good right now for Republican primary stuff, but doesn't play well for a general audience or anybody that's looking at Republicans to be the next occupants of the White House. Unlike the previous debate, abortion took a backseat in this one. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie took a different stance than his fellow candidates. He spoke about the need for Republicans to talk about the issue in a way that didn't downplay the health of women caught in difficult circumstances. Republicans have lost a couple of recent elections on this issue after the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade last year. Rena, how are you anticipating abortion will play out here as the field of candidates narrows? I was very surprised that abortion wasn't talked about more last night, Uh, and particularly on the heels of that first debate where Nikki Haley was able to really tease it out and and give some what I felt were very good answers for, again, a general election audience, not so much a primary audience. Uh, DeSantis did talk about being unabashedly pro-life and and not needing to apologize for that. But one really great line from Christie was about the need to be pro-life beyond just nine months, being pro-life all the way through through a person's life. And so um, that sort of touched on the role of government and whatnot. And had he gone a little too far, then he would have lost some Republican voters. Uh, Because what we're talking about here is an issue that is going to persist. It's not going away. Abortion will be on the ballot in 2024. And Republicans know that they could have egg on their face for it and their handling of it, uh, particularly because of what GOP state, uh, state legislatures are doing across the country. Also, in addition to abortion, uh, the talk about the, sh- the looming shutdown in Washington, that's another issue that is going to be egg on the face of Republicans. So that was one that a great many didn't want to touch last night. I felt that last night's debate was a little bit lacking in terms of uh, infotainment is what I would call it. As it wore on, it was clear that some of these candidates were um, not so much bored, but just uh, tired of talking about these issues. There was a very strong start at the debate. I felt that Pence in particular had a very um, standout, a few lines at the beginning of the debate that showed that he he was uh, there to really become the nominee. He wanted to show that he's capable and uh, deserving. Rena, to your point, I want to maybe get to one of the most heated moments of the night. Uh, let's hear Nikki Haley talking about, of all things, Vivek Ramaswamy's coziness with TikTok. I honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say, because I can't believe they hear you've got a TikTok situation. What they're doing is these 150 million people are on TikTok. (laughs) That means they can get your contacts. They can get your financial information. They can get your emails. They can get text messages. They can get all of these things. This is important. This is very important for our party. exactly what they're doing. This is very important. So Nikki Haley not only bringing heat down on Ramaswamy, but also voicing some serious concerns about his business interests. 
Gabe, do you think that moment was kind of one of those that punched through? Yeah, I definitely, I do think it was one of the moments that punched through, and I think that was definitely kind of a standout line of the night. You know, yeah, I, I feel dumber as I hear you speak. But I will say what is interesting is I think the context of that moment has gotten a little bit lost in the coverage, even though that line has punched through. You know, what they were talking about was in response to Ramaswamy saying that Republicans need to meet voters where they are, specifically talking about how he joined TikTok, obviously an object of controversy on the debate stage because of, um, you know, it's Chinese ownership. Um, and, and I think that's obviously that decision was controversial among Republicans. But it kind of speaks to a true point that he was making. Republicans have a deep vulnerability among young voters. You see that in poll after poll. We've seen it in the last three election cycles. Um, and I was struck that Ramaswamy was really the only candidate that spoke about that issue for Republicans, that they need to be reaching out to young voters. He said he was doing it by joining TikTok. Um, he also he was the only candidate that really addressed the youth mental health crisis. That's a huge issue you know, across the country. You see youth suicides spiking and, and you see not a lot of politicians on either side of the aisle talking a lot about that. So I, I do think that that was, you know, it was, it was a good zinger from Haley and it speaks to an important issue about, about TikTok and, and Chinese ownership of data um, and the privacy and national security concerns that are there. But, you know, I, I think it kind of sidestepped the, the kind of broader issue for the party, which is how are they going to reach out to young voters if they're not joining apps like TikTok, if they're not kind of following that lead what are they going to do to kind of reverse the, the really devastating trends they see among Generation Z? Right. As we're talking about specific voter groups, Alex, last night, the Fox Business Debate was co-sponsored with Univision. There was one question, I think, particularly about Latino voters. Yeah, I mean, I, I think and that goes back to uh, you know the question about uh, Reagan and amnesty and, uh, and the undocumented. Um, it, you know, it, it was striking to me, to your point, that, um, you know, there's been a lot made of the real gains that Republicans have made, especially in, like, the Rio Grande Valley um, among Hispanic voters. But the fact of the matter is that Democrats are still, you know, overwhelmingly, I think, like, well over 60 get well over 60 percent of Latino vote. And, you know, it is striking – how you know? I think Republicans don't actually quite know. Like, how do you um, you know, have this incredibly you know bellicose rhetoric, um, and in some cases nativist rhetoric about the border and immigration, and yet also appeal to um, you know Latino voters who are in the country and are, are voters. And Republicans have been struggling with this with this dynamic now for you know twenty twenty years, and have tried a variety of strategies um, on both extremes. Um, quite quite honestly, and um, it's going to be very interesting to watch it going forward, especially in uh, in a general election. Well, we'll have to leave it there. That's Gabe Fleischer. He's the founder and editor in chief of the Wake Up to Politics newsletter and a Georgetown University senior. Also with us today, Alex Thompson. He's the national political correspondent at Axios. And Rena Shaw. She's a political commentator and strategist. Thanks to you all. Today's producer was AC Valdez, with help from Maya Garg, Michelle Harvin, and Rupert Allman. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Nyla Boudou of Axios. Let's talk more soon. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viking. 
committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.